Okay, so Freco's not a fan of your new computer here, uh, Lawson. He says, Why? What's wrong with it? Apple against the union? No. Apple against the earth. Fair enough. <laughs> You've been called out. Yeah. All right. And in relationship to your uh, story that you covered on the device that sprays out uh, fire retardant whenever yeah. fire gets close? Yeah. Braden says, in Queensland, that would just spray out all the time. <laughs> well, I think it's, like, meant to detect heat that's, like, 500 degrees or something. Exactly. Well, oh, okay, fair <laughs> No. I didn't know that was superhuman in, in Queensland. Okay, and Raj, in regards to trees, the cowrie pines of New Zealand are bigger than the Tasmanian eucalyptus, still smaller than the sequoias, Braden says. Oh, we could start such a good argument on this one. How so? Because Tasmania had the tallest trees in the world. They have the tallest flowering trees in the world right now, but they used to have the tallest trees. Uh-huh. So who has the biggest trees? You know, Sequoia. Sequoia. Sequoia claims they have the biggest because they have the most cubic feet. New Zealand's going to argue for their carries all day long. Uh, Tasmania, don't even don't even get me started on the on the on you, the. No, uh, okay, no. Tasmania isn't valid. Like literally, like. Global warming is going to happen and Tasmania is going to get sucked into the sea, okay? So we don't talk about Tasmania. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is more between New Zealand and California, and I'm taking California's side. He's such a heretic. He's such such an absolute heretic right here. All right, uh, let's see what else have we got here. Uh, let me go back, 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 back. Okay, education in America. While schools were originally started in America to teach biblical education, state schools have turned 180 degrees. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, their job is basically to destroy the family. That's also a fact. Uh, you would be surprised how big homeschooling is in Australia and how well many of the students do. Okay, so this is very interesting. In the United States, in the last uh, year, in the last 12 months, homeschooling has doubled. Yeah, wow. Well. Mm. Doubled. 11.1% of kids in school right now in the United States are homeschooling, genuine homeschooling. That's intense. That is a massive number. That's more than one in ten students are doing homeschooling. Mm. And the simple reality is, of course, they're going to do better than students that actually go to school because you've got a teacher who is in a one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-four, you know, yeah. big families, a one-on-six or seven situation. There's no, there's no, you know, there's, it's obvious that they're going to perform better, and that's the simple reality of homeschooling. Yeah, particularly in the early grades, yes. like where kids, you know, they'll be like kindergarten age in year three already, like they'll just smash through it because, like, the reality is, is that the, the standards of passing kindergarten are very high, that's and right. so for homeschool family, they're like, oh, well, we can smash this out in like three months, absolutely, and then they do, and then they move on. And there's a, there's a reason why there's a reason why the homeschool kids have this kind of cliche as being know-it-alls because they actually they, do kind of kind of they kind of obviously are. though you know once you get into like HSC age like there's you know where there's elite schools and and whatnot who are really top end like I know a lot of homeschool kids who transferred over into school you know once you get to yep, that age sure. because it's the parents can no longer offer unless your parent is a teacher. The thing with legend. homeschool kids is that a lot of them, by the time they reach that particular point, know how to research well enough for themselves. They don't actually rely on their parents. Mm. You know, they rely on their on the curriculum. The parents have put a curriculum together, and they can far exceed the knowledge of their parents. 
Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what happens with um, homeschool. Well, that's what happens with homeschoolers who, you know, they're getting up into year 11 and 12 and so forth. Yeah. Well, I know that I'm heaps smarter than my dad, so. Yeah, well, just naturally. You know. Everyone is, right? <laughs> I, I, was, I was heaps smarter than my dad when I was your age. <laughs> and it's amazing how much he's learned since then. <laughs> now he is heaps smarter than what I am. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Oh, in Australia, we are lagging the United States. What do you mean? 2.2%. Oh, in terms of homeschooling, yes. yeah. That's still a big number. Mm. You stop and think about that, it's still a big number. It wasn't, you know, I first, I met my first homeschool kids when I was in school and it was kind of like a weird way out kind of like what on earth are you thinking? Mm. And it was looked down on in society. It was it was very questionable as far as legality goes. Mm. Uh, they were treated by with suspicion by the you know by the education system, all that kind of stuff. Whereas homeschooling is mainstream now. Yeah, and uh, it's especially well education. But then yeah, you've got like full on homeschooling as well. But at the same time, like you know, Australia doesn't have the pressures on the school system that the United States does. No. And so much smaller population. our school system is still, I would say like r- thriving, you know, just, Absolutely. just knowing my, like my little sister, she's in uni now, but she went, she kind of did the, you know, the system of going to schools and then in for year 11 and 12, transferring over to an elite school to get a really good ATAR, which she got. And that got her into ANU, which is like the top uni in Australia. And for her, she's like, oh yeah, like school was really good. I know for me, the little time that i went to school uh up until i dropped out in year nine um yeah school i don't know school's good it's eight it's eight very good all right i sort of had a different experience i just didn't even go to school until <laughs> i was eight didn't bother why, why would Classic. you bother? just hang out in the bush <laughs> best school right there uh all right they are uh, homeschoolers taught to be three free thinkers not sheep oh that simply follow their masters deep very deep Mm. We do not want sheeple in Australia. <laughs> we want free thinkers. Uh, okay. All right. I think that's the end. Of, I think that's the end of our text messages. Let's get into our Bible study. And our Bible study begins by talking about Google Maps. Really? Yes. Oh, in in the Bible. Absolutely. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of history this morning. I'm going to share with you a little bit of history. Uh, back in the day, we used to have this thing. It was called, and I used to have one for Newcastle actually, a, a map book. And it was like a big, thick Wait, book. Wait, what is that? It's a big, thick book. Uh, Books it's like, with maps in it? It's about twice the thickness of your Bible. Uh-huh. And it had maps in it. And the way it worked was... You, is it like computerized? You could, look up, you could look up... No, it was all paper. It was completely analog. It was made <laughs> out... You could, you could feel this thing between your fingers. You could lie it across your lap oh, while so you were like driving. Oh, so it's like activated and you say, hey, turn to this page and it does it. None or- of that, none <laughs> of that. None of that. The way it went, the way it worked was you go to the back of the book and you'd look up the street and it would give you a map number and a grid reference yeah. for that particular street. And then you'd flick through and you would actually find that street and then you would work from there backwards to where you were and you would work out a route how to get there. And then you'd put that book on your lap and away you'd go and you would drive or you would give it to your passenger and they would call out directions as you went along. That's, this is amazing invention. That is intense. It was it was absolutely intense. This is what this is what we used to do back in the day before Google Maps. I don't know that they're actually made anymore, but they used to make a new one every year mm. with all of the new roads in it. And they also used to prophesy. You'd have all these 
prophecies in the in, in the map book of all of the roads that they were going to make mm. that didn't have names yet. Yeah. Uh, because you could kind of use that. That made, meant that your map book would sort of last for a few extra years. Mm. And, you know, so we had, uh, you know, Sidways and all kinds of, uh, you know, different creative names that these books had. And that was how we navigated. Mm-hmm. Now, the great thing about navigating with a map book is that once you drove a route, you remembered that route because you'd remember all the landmarks along the way. Mm-hmm. And the next time you drove it, you didn't have to use a map book. You'd just get in and drive it. Yeah. Particularly, you know, some of us have, you know, a really good sense of direction. And so uh, we would be able to do that. Other people, yeah, they kind of relied on the book a little bit more than others. And then this thing came along called the GPS, which was pretty dodgy. But then we had Google Maps on our phones. Yeah. And now we all have Google Maps on our phones, mm-hmm. which makes driving very relaxing. Dude, I, my you first. Are, you are at rest behind the wheel. My first phone that I got when I went into year eight was an iPhone with maps, with Google Maps. Like, I have... This is why I'm explaining this. I've never been in the situation of having to use a map book, and I think it's really deteriorated my sense of direction because I Google Maps everything. I'm like, (laughs) just to drive across town, like, oh, I need to go to this place. I know where it is, but I'll just Google Maps it to find the fastest, you know, route. And, of course, the problem with Google Maps is that sometimes the battery goes flat, and then we all get kind of, you know... I'm done, I'm done for, dude. <laughs> You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I actually really like maps, yeah. paper ones. Like, you know, yeah. when I travel overseas, I will always print out maps of all the places I'm going to go to, like street maps of all the places that I'm going to drive to mm. because... Well, what happens if you get overseas and you struggle to get a SIM card? No, but, you know, phone, like, maps, location, GPS works without a SIM card. Yeah, well, mine doesn't. I tried to use mine in Croatia and I had to get a SIM card else it wouldn't work. Oh. Anyway. I was using mine in Ethiopia with with mobile data turned off because location still works. I never used mine in Ethiopia. Yeah. Because I got kind of I kind of got rides everywhere while I was yeah. in Ethiopia. No, I would be following along with my phone because I thought it was really cool. Like, especially, you know, like the six-hour trip from Addis to, to you know, Hawassa where we were. Just looking at all the freeways and stuff and how they're just goat tracks. <laughs> <laughs> the freeways that are made out of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> Not even gravel. Just dirt. Just dirt. Just dirt. Yep. <laughs> uh, epic stuff. Anyway, so... Uh, somebody texting through, ah, map books. The ghost roads uh, from Vincent. The ghost, ghost, roads. ghost roads. The ghost of the past. Mm. Yes, indeed. Okay, so what's interesting, and one of the reasons why Google Maps has taken over so universally is because of the stress-free driving experience that it gives you. Mm. You don't have to have someone calling out directions. You don't have to be constantly, you know, checking down on the page to make sure that you haven't missed your turn off. You don't have to be trying to calculate, you know, when that turn off is going to come. You don't have to be looking for a street name or a street sign. Uh, the United States probably has the best system where it was just, you know, numbers and arrows everywhere and everything just went by numbers and you just follow numbers. You could drive from one side of the country to the other just following numbers. Mm. Uh, it was just, you know, quite incredible. But... Um, you know, that has all disappeared because we have such kind of restful driving experience that mm. we never used to have before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's some lessons we can learn from this. First of all, 
Google Maps is a little bit like God. Now, I know you're going to say that's heresy. Hear me out on this. This is an object lesson. This is not a heresy. This is an object lesson. When you're driving and you're following the blue line Mm. and you miss your turn, does Google Maps yell at you? No. Does it scream at you? No. Does it abuse you? No. Does it even say, you silly fool? No. What does it do? It recalculates. It recalculates and it recalculates another route for you, doesn't Mm. it? Mm. Okay, and let's say that you've entered in the correct address into Google Maps and every time Google Maps tells you to turn, you disobey it. Mm -hmm. Does Google Maps ever give up? No. It just always is there. It is always pointing you to the correct destination. Isn't that so? Mm. Think about God. Does God have a destination for you? Yeah. Is it a good destination? Yes. Do you want to get there? Yes. Absolutely. Do we sometimes divert from that destination? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what does God do? Does God yell at us? Nope. Does he scream at us? Nope. Does he call us a fool? Nope. Maybe a little bit. Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He who me loves your abuse and chase, and sometimes I feel like a fool. (laughs) Okay, but more importantly, does God ever give up? No. When we go the wrong path, what does God do? He just reroutes. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, there's another one. You can you can get there from here. And then we mess up again. He's like, you can get there from here as well. Mm. And then we mess up again. And it doesn't matter how many times mess we mess up, God is always there. He is always redirecting us and he's always directing us in the route that we need to go. The other great thing about Google Maps is it makes navigation easy because you just simply follow the blue line. Mm. And it's the same with God. You know, God says, my, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Just, just, just follow the blue line. Mm. Except the blue line in the Bible is a little bit different from the blue line on Google Maps. The blue line in the Bible is the law of God, mm. and this is the this is the this is what leads us. It's the law of God that says you know you're a sinner in need of a savior, and it leads us. It points us to Jesus Christ, mm. and so that blue line will always be pointing us to Jesus Christ. So when you look at the color blue, blue of course is the color of law. Always has been. It was in the ancient world, and it still is in the modern day world today. That's why police officers wear blue uniforms. Mm. And so whenever you see that blue line on your Google Maps and you're following the blue line, remember that that blue line is like the law of God leading you to a saviour, Jesus Christ. Wow. There's some great, there's some great uh, things that we can draw out of uh, Google Maps. Uh, our Bible study says sometimes, however, we enter the wrong address into our app or we just decide to follow directions because we think we know a shortcut or not follow directions because we think we know a shortcut. In either case, we may end up somewhere we didn't want to be and most definitely not in a restful frame of mind either. Let's go Mm. to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 6, as I turn there now. That is the one thing about Google Maps is it does rely on you entering in the correct address. All right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, the Bible says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Okay, let me read it from uh, my translation. Worded slightly differently. It says uh, in verse 6, be careful for nothing. Mm. Now, there's some old English for you that will get you into all kinds of trouble if you read it with a modern mindset. 
Be yeah. careful for nothing. In today's day and age, we read something like that, and what would that imply to you and I? Uh, a grammatical mistake. It could imply a grammatical, <laughs> or, or it also could imply that wasn't what I was heading for. No, no, because you know, just because old English, you know, yes. has that tendency to to cut out words, and you know, okay, it could also be implied to be careless. <laughs> careless. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, I had some ancestors whose last name was Careless. Oh. This is this is an interesting story. That was their last name. And the way that English, because they were English ancestors, uh, they were from my English line, and the way that ancestors, the way that last names were given when they eventually decided, you know, in Great Britain that they wanted to have both a first name and a last name, is people would choose their own last name and, you know, they might choose it on their trade, Smith. Mm. Or they might choose it on a location, Southwell, the well in the south. Uh, They might choose it on a town or, you know, there's a multitude of different ways that they went about choosing their last name. One way that people would do it would be in relationship to their attitude, their philosophy of life, or their just simply their personality. Mm. And a careless person back in the day was not an irresponsible person. Mm. They were what we would call carefree. Mm. So this particular person, they chose their last name and they chose their last name of carefree, which is kind of a pretty cool last name, except it wasn't carefree, it was careless. Yeah. And what happened was, this is a very interesting story, is that the use of the word changed and because the use of the word changed, it became, they had a last name that basically meant irresponsible, <laughs> which was really, really bad. Anyway, at one particular point, there was uh, um, great deeds of valour that were performed and the king granted a request to one of my ancestors due to great deeds of valour and uh, they said, can we change our last name? Mm. And the British monarch said, yes, I will allow that. And so they changed it from careless to Carlos. Okay. And so... Uh, I have ancestors whose name is Carlos and they have no relationship to any Spanish community whatsoever at all. <laughs> it is a 100% English name. That's amazing. Carlos. There Carlos. You go. Okay, so when we read it here, don't be careful about everything. It's mm. not saying be careless about everything, mm. be irresponsible about everything. What it's saying is don't be stressed out. Yeah. Don't be freaked out. Don't live with anxiety. And, of course, we have... You know, a tremendous amount of anxiety in our world today. And here is the here is the key for it. The Bible says, do not be anxious. What what word did yours say there in verse six? Don't worry. Don't stress out. Don't mm. worry. Uh, be careful. Be don't be anxious. But in everything by prayer and request, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So why does the Bible say that we don't need to be anxious about stuff? Um because you know, uh, it gives us the advice to go to God and to we pray have to that him. opportunity. Yeah, we can go to God. Mm. We can go back to the GPS and we can find that it or Google Maps and find that it is rerouting us mm. back to Jesus Christ wow. every single time. We might be in a place we didn't expect to be. We might be in a place that we did not want to be, but that blue line is there and it is always directing us back to a place of safety and a place of care. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. There you go. All right, fantastic stuff. Let's go to our passage that we've been looking at right here. 
And it is Philippians chapter 4, and we are looking in... Well, we're looking in verse 6. We were supposed to start in verse 4, but we did verse 6 already, which was, you know, the best place to... The, 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 it was the conclusion. Yes, that's right. Actually, it's not the conclusion. The conclusion comes in verse 8. We'll mm-hmm. get to there in a minute. Okay. But first of all, let's go back to verse 4. The Bible says, rejoice always. Mm. Right? Yes. In everything. Uh-huh. Just always rejoice. Uh-huh. No, it doesn't. It doesn't? Well, the mind says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it yeah, again, exactly, rejoice. Exactly, exactly. There's a difference. Rejoice in the Lord mm-hmm. always. There's a difference between rejoicing about everything and rejoicing in the Lord. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that this is important because, you know, um, in this passage, Paul is not saying to rejoice all the time in all trials that you're facing. And says He's saying rejoice in the Lord mm. all the time. It makes me think of like where First Corinthians thirteen says, "Do not rejoice in iniquity." Exactly. As well, like so, we're given express advice that hey, there are things that you shouldn't rejoice in. That's right. I did a funeral yesterday. That's not really a time for rejoicing. Mm. But we can still have joy in the Lord in the darkest of times. Mm. We can still have joy in the promises of God. We can still have rest in our heart, in our spirit, in uh, in our life because of the promises of God. You know, no matter our present situation or no matter what trials we are facing, if we think about God and his goodness and his love and his sacrifice for us, uh, we can rejoice in him and have peace in our souls. Mm. And so really this is probably one of the, you know, this is probably the greatest key that there is anywhere in the Bible for people who suffer with anxiety. Mm is that you can have peace in God. You don't need distress. That blue line will always be there for you and it will always be directing you back to Jesus Christ. Mm. It's a great illustration that, uh, that we're given here in, uh, in, in, in the Bible. Uh, let's continue on. We're going to look at some of these other verses here because they're too good to miss out on. Uh, verse 7. We're going to move on to verse 7. It says, you know, be careful or don't be stressed about anything. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And verse 7 is pretty kind of key verse. It then says uh, in verse 7, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Yes, indeed. Okay. Mm. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Yeah. And this is one something that you have to experience. You can't be told about it. Yeah. And you see it play out in the experiences of people. Yes. Rather than, you know, the, like having theological understanding of it. My mind, you know, in terms of biblical um, example, my mind immediately goes to like Acts 16 where they're in the dungeon and they're in chains, uh, Paul and Silas, yep. and they've been yep. whipped almost yep. to death. So they can't lie down. They can't lie down. They're like just in the most... And and uh, when you read about this in the commentaries, it says that usually from the dungeon of the prison, only shrieks of pain escape. Mm-hmm. Like just one of the most torturous, terrible places. And they're in there singing hymns. Yes. Like they're there singing hymns, praying, praising God. And that leads to, you know, the, the jailer's conversion and ultimately the beginning of the Philippian church, uh, which went on to, as we're reading the book of Philippians here, become one of the greatest churches in all of that area, in the in the Asia Minor area. 
like just fantastic. And that's because they experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. Like they're supposed to be like dying and they're rejoicing and singing hymns. Like that surpasses all understanding, yet they do it. Yes. Because of because they're rejoicing in the Lord. Like God has really blessed them. And even in the present circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, you find mm. so many people that are suffering with depression. You've got, you know, the nation is struggling and you've got people that are stressed out and, and, and dealing with anxiety left, right and centre. And I see it and I read the reports on it. It's coming through the news every day, but I don't understand it. Yeah. You've got people that are freaking out over, you know, the environment and the future for their children. Mm. And I agree when, you know, Absolutely, we need to be taking care of the environment. We need to be providing for our children. But it's not something that I freak out over. Mm. You know, I, I, I recognize so a responsibility in all of these areas, but, you know, I'm not doing the whole Greta Thunberg thing and saying, well, you've stolen everything from me because, no, this is in God's hands. Yeah, well. And, and so for me, as being somebody who's been a Christian for a very, very long time, the anxiety that I see in our world right now, I recognize it, but I don't understand it because I've never experienced it. Mm. One of the most important things to keep a country running and being productive is optimism amongst the population. Yeah, that's right. Morale. Morale. And, you know, you know uh, Napoleon once said that morale was, three, was, was, was worth three times men. Mm. So you could have, you know, a third of the men, if they had high morale, they would always win. Yeah, wow. And so, you know, you look at those countries that do well, the countries that do well are countries where the population is optimistic Mm. and they go out and they do things. And this is one of the areas in which I see that Christianity has so much to offer. That's right. A country, a nation. Mm. Because when you have a lot of Christians, you have that optimism, you have that lower levels of anxiety that, you know, people will continue to function, they will continue to, you know, to actually be productive and to do things and not to give up and that optimism will drive production and that will make a great nation. Particularly, you know, when I view Christians in some of the most harshest environments in the world, you know, think about Christians living in Afghanistan or Christians living in these places where they're terribly persecuted, my immediate thought is like, Dude, why don't they just leave? Like, you're being so persecuted in your... Like, why wouldn't you just leave? But that's because it's like they're in a situation where they're hiding their faith, they're being persecuted. And it's like you you would think that they would be so anxiety-ridden that they would just want to get out there and escape and and come over to Australia or any other country that lets them worship freely. But no, they stay because they have that peace. And there are other Christians who go from here... To there. Yeah. They voluntarily choose to go there because they have that peace. That peace. And they understand as well. And I think it's like another thing that guides them uh, in that peace that kind of senses their motivation is the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And they're like, hey, well, someone needs to tell these people about Christianity. And what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to lose my life. Hey, I'm, I'm going to see Jesus. Like, I'm going to be in the kingdom. And, you know, I don't want to push onto everyone, like, radical ideas of, oh, we should all just be dying for our faith, you know, some, like, suicide no, cult or something no. like that. But it's the simple reality is is that for these people, they are assured in their faith. Yes. They are past anxiety. They're like, hey, look, 
I can face these challenges because I have God in my side. Some, you know, God is calling me to do this work and he's coming back soon. Absolutely. Okay, Sky texts in to say thanks for the part about joy in the Lord to remind us we can still look up and have that peace. Such a beautiful Amen. passage with great expanding. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. Well, the question of the day, um, the question is, if God can't die, how did Jesus think he could die for our sins? And can it count since he was raised again? Yeah, really good question right there. The answer is found, well, there's a number of different places where the answer is found, but the place that I'm going to go to to begin with is Hebrews chapter 2. And it's a really important principle to understand. And essentially what it comes down to is this, that when Jesus came to this earth, he came to this earth as a human being. Mm -hmm. He never ceased to be God, but he never used his own divine power. Mm. So he never lived on this earth as God in that he used his own divine power. He didn't do that. He lived on this earth 100% as a human being. Now, other people would say, well, how was he able to perform miracles and so forth? The reason that he was able to perform miracles is because you and I can do miracles. Not that it is us that is doing the miracles Mm. and not that it was Jesus who was doing the miracles. Mm. Jesus was relying on the power of his Father. That's how he did the miracles. We can rely on the power of Jesus. That's how we can do miracles. Mm. Miracles are always divine intervention. And so if we go to Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says uh, in verse 11, for both he that sanctifies and those who are sanctified. In other words, he that is holy and those who are made holy are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to be called brethren, to call us his brethren and Mm. sisters. So Jesus became literally one with us. Now, this whole chapter is about the humanity of Christ, but you continue on. Uh, Verse 14 is an interesting verse because it's full of redundant words. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Mm. Now, can a flesh and blood human being die? Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. All right, what about God? Can God die? No. So the only way that Jesus could die was to leave behind by choice Mm. his divine power. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the only thing that was keeping him on the cross, the only thing that was allowing him to die was his choice. Mm. Because at any moment he could have chosen to use his divine power. It was always there. It was always at his fingertips. He could have used it at any point of his life. He could have chosen. He could have made that choice. Yes. When he was hanging on the cross or at any other particular point in his life. And because he never made that choice, he was able to die, Mm -hmm. which makes the sacrifice of Jesus so much bigger. Because for you and I, if we were being crucified, you know, or the disciples, some of the disciples were crucified, they didn't have a choice. They're nailed to the cross. They're going to die. Yeah. But Jesus did. Mm. He didn't have to suffer any of that. He didn't have to experience any pain. He could have, you know, even just sort of like given himself an anesthetic while he was on the cross and not feel it. Yeah, wow. Jesus did none of that. 
he died as a human being because he did not take up his own divine power. It continues on here in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He could not have done that if he wasn't a human just like us. Mm. Verse 16, For truly he did not take on him the nature of angels. And this comes to the life that Jesus lived. We all know that a righteous angel knows how to gain victory over temptations and live a righteous life. And so he doesn't take on the nature of angels. The Bible says he took on him the seed of Abraham. Mm. He came as a descendant of Abraham. Did Abraham have weaknesses? Yes. Did Abraham have temptations? Yes. Mm -hmm. You see, if Jesus had not left behind his divinity, he could never have been tempted. The Bible says, Wherefore in all things it was best for him to be made like unto his brethren, and he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those that are tempted. He could only do that if he lived 100% as a human being by choice. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.